chats from the blog cabin. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. Hey y'all, it's Melissa. I thought this particular episode would be awesome to share with you the week before Christmas. It's about an author who wrote a fictional characterization of the first living nativity, which I think is really great. This author not only researched her topic very well, um, but really brought tell, tells the story from the point of view of the character of the animals and not the actual people that are in the nativity, which I really think is great. Anytime that you can take a, a subject matter that is historical and create a narrative around it that just makes everybody fall in love with it even more is great. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing her and I thoroughly enjoyed the book. So start listening. Come join Melissa and her guests on the Chats from the Blog Cabin podcast. From North Carolina, this podcast will have you feeling like you've known these folks for years. Listen in as they chat about life, culture, current events, and more, all with a special Southern flair. Curl up with your favorite beverage and get ready to be entertained. Tune in now for a unique experience that's fun and insightful. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know the show where I virtually invite people into the blog cabin and we chat about life and today we are chatting about a different take on the nativity story and i absolutely love this book we're chatting with laurel she's the author of a bellwether christmas and it's so cute what an adorable book i found myself i listened to it so listening to it was like oh my gosh what's happening what's happening for the longest time i thought they were actually going to be part of the nativity story like they were but it's a different take on it it's how it actually came the live action came about so laurel before we start into your book tell us a little about yourself um okay well i'm a uh, a child of god i'm a mother um i i'm a former journalist i did um newspaper editing uh, i did radio i did television and i've uh helped my husband manage a couple of production companies in, in recent years. Uh, I also have a blog uh, called God and Gardening on Facebook. So, uh, but this is my first novel. So uh, this is something I've, I've uh, a novel, something I've wanted to write for a long time. Yeah, but you had, this, the reason why you wrote this novel, you were able to, you got to take some of the things that you like researched long ago and incorporate in this art, incorporate into this art. Novel. Yes, that's that's what's so wonderful about this is that uh, this was more than 20 years ago. And I took my uh, little grandmother to Italy. Uh, she is she was had never been out of the country and it always her whole life had always wanted to go and really fell in love with um, the Italian countryside and learned a lot about uh, church history, including uh, the, the Franciscans uh, and thought that this was a great, the early 13th century was just a great, I love medieval everything. I, I was, you know, I love medieval books. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm going to write a book set in this time period. And so I went back and started doing my research. And I mean, I was pulling in like, you know, original sources and people commenting on what life was like back then and 
what what happened with Francis and all these other uh, people. Uh, and I kept trying to write this book and nothing happened. And then, like I said, more than 20 years later, uh, it was Christmas season and it was shortly after Christmas. And all of a sudden I got like what I call a, a download in my brain. It was like, God just went boom. And he said, you know, here's, here's a plot. And I, and I, I wrote it down in about 10 minutes and I looked at it and I said, well, this isn't really a, the kind of novel I was thinking I was going to write. Um, this is more like almost like a kid's novel because, you know, it involves animals and things like that. I said, but, but wow, this is, I, I've really got to write this. And somehow I managed to do it. It was really, it was not easy. Writing a book is not easy. Uh, my husband's written many, but, um, having, you know, me write it, it, it was tough, but, um, I just loved my, the, I, there was a lot of love going into this book from the characters, uh, and the characters, it was interesting because when I, when I, when I looked at it, I said, now this brings together all the research I've done on this medieval time period. And the fact that I understand a little bit about farm animals because I have some and I have had some, mm -hmm. especially sheep. And I tell you, sheep are wonderful and donkeys, um, uh, and horses. So I said, wow, I'm going to use their characters as the characters in this book because I knew their personalities. I knew some of these pretty amazing things that they had done that I'd actually seen these animals do. And I said, I'm going to just, it's going to use both those things that I know a lot about. And when they say, write what you know. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it, it was, it was a great, uh, it was a great marriage of those two things. And, uh, and then about a year later I had, uh, you know, I had the manuscript. So I, I'm, I'm just, I was just thrilled. Yeah, you you said earlier that writing a book is hard. Give us some of the things, struggles that you had when you were writing this book. Well, you know, writing a book is tough just in terms of being able, being disciplined and being able to find the time that you have to you have to carve that time out where you're you're not distracted, you're not, you know. And I'm kind of my husband's kind of a morning person. I'm an evening person, so I would try to kind of do it later in the even, you know, at at night. He likes to do his writing early, early, early in the morning. Uh, so I would tend to do mine, you know, in the afternoon or the evening, I just cut out some, some hours to do it. But also there are times when you're, when you're, I mean, I remember feeling at times when I'm having to write a scene, I was like, wow, I'm going to have to write a scene. And this is what I kind of want to get across. And, and it's going to be an emotional scene, for instance. And, and I'll sit there struggling and then I'll just say, you know, I'll just, I would just pray to God. I would just say, you know, God, I, I love these characters. I, I'm feeling all this love right now. And that's what it would take. And boom, I would just, it would just come out. It would just flow. So, but that's, that's tough sometimes you, when you get into those positions where you're like, well, I this, this is a scene I have to write and it's really got to work. And, um, but it did. And, and, you know, I had to do a lot of research because again, I was writing at the, about the fifth, sixth grade level. Which, uh, which is really funny because a lot of my friends tell me, oh, I love reading your book because it wasn't hard to read. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that was deliberate because, uh, you know, fifth, sixth graders should be able to read it without any trouble. Um, so it took, it, took, it took a lot more work. And, you know, I had to, I, I'm just the kind of being having been a reporter. I just, I found the exact location on Google Maps where it takes place. I would Google walk myself there to the different locations of that where I talk about in the book. Um, I already knew a lot about medieval times. I was a, a, a science fiction magazine editor at one point, 
and love fan all kinds of fantasy and just you know uh i had i had I had read so much of that kind of stuff that I really understood a lot. And, and then the research. So I was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was interesting, but it all came together. Yeah, it did come together. And I love the fact that you said that you wrote this book on a fifth and sixth grade level, but your friends enjoyed it as well. Did you ever think when you're writing this book and you knew you wanted your core audience were fifth and sixth graders that adults would enjoy this book as much. Did you even have the forethought that they were going to enjoy it? I was hoping that that would be, I was really writing a book for the whole family because I thought, mm. you know, at this level, if you read it to a five year or six year old, they would understand it. Uh, they might not be able to read it themselves at, you know, five or six years old. Um, but I, I also really wanted adults to enjoy it because, you know, I, the classic books I read as a 10 year old or 11 year old, I read them again and I still love them. I mean, mm -hmm. I can read anything Marguerite Henry wrote again and just love it you know it's so um uh you know or who can't read some of that who can't read charlotte's web again and not love it you know it's it's so um i really like that and and a lot of people have told me uh that they really enjoyed it mostly mostly i've gotten feedback from adults um a few children but mostly adults who say wow i love this book well i think it's probably too because uh, children they love the book, but they're probably telling their friends about it, not telling other people the adults. Oh, I really love this book. Don't you think? Yeah, I think that's probably the way it happens. And, uh, you know, and the ones who are who are uh, writing reviews and stuff like that are the adults. So that's who I'm hearing from. Um, but uh, but I also just uh, I, I got to throw for the other day. I got a, a veterinarian who who wrote a review and said, boy, her 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 animal behavior is spot on. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was good. So that was good. Yeah. And and then, you know, I also. Um, really wrote this because, you know, my husband and I love Christmas, love Christmas books, Christmas movies, have a tough time finding good ones of, bo of both of those things. I mean, it, you really got to, you know, you got to work hard to find a good Christmas book or a good Christmas movie. And in fact, when I did the research for this, I said, I, I started Googling, you know, and looking for good Christmas books for that age group and virtually nothing came up. Yeah. So... <laughs> I mean, it is, it, it's, it's, it's strange, but I, I, I really wanted to write a book that was about Christmas mm -hmm. and had themes that were related to Christmas. And there is a lot of, you know, there is a, a, a young lamb who learns a lot of things in this book. And one of those things he, he learns is that love sometimes takes sacrifice mm -hmm. and, and, and it's a gift. And that's Christmas. I mean, you know, we we have a gift that we were given. So um, and it's a gift of love. So I I wanted because I had gone through so many, you know, Christmas books that had nothing to do with Christmas. You know, it's like the Christmas wedding. And Christmas. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I really wanted to write a book that's really about Christmas. And then then the fact that I knew this because I have my research, I knew this little known fact, which was that in a few years, this being a few years ago, this 800th anniversary of this event was going to come up. And um, so I was like, you know, I bet people don't un don't realize that the, that the nativity scenes they see everywhere that their church puts up, they put in their front yard. That was not always something mm -hmm. that people did. That's a tradition that started exactly 800 years ago yeah. this Christmas. Um, 
And if you read the book, you'll see my kind of fictionalized account of, of that. Uh, but, but you'll also see in my, in, in the appendix, I, I show you what, you know, what the, what the uh, historical history says about that event. So it's kind of fun because, um, you know, it's, uh, it, and it's a tradition that, that is a nice one, you know, as opposed to the tradition of maybe, you know, going out to bars every night, you know, between Christmas and New Year's, you know. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. And like I said, I've never read, I've read a lot of nativity books, but I've never read one where it talks about the first living nativity scene. Like, like you actually take in and you take, okay, this, the St. Francis he actually comes around and starts talking and he creates a whole live nativity scene, which, you know, a lot of churches do now, but yes. I don't think people realize the origin goes back to him. Yes. And that, and that actually, I mean, it, it became an end. It was like, you know, if, if something could be said to go viral back 800 years ago, this went viral uh, because everyone loved it so much. Um, and just, they, they were just so, you know, you have to realize they were, they were coming, they were walking up a mountainside by candlelight and they come to this cave that's lit, you know, with, with an ox and a, and a donkey. And, and all of a sudden they're transported back to Jerusalem, you know, to, to, to Bethlehem. And that feeling um, just was so uh, uh, appealing that, that it just, this whole thing's just spread. And then, you know, the first one was living nativity, but that's also when people started to make, you know, big life-sized, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nativities out of wood or out of ceramic, or, you know, we have a, a, a wonderful nativity set that was from Israel. And uh, my, my husband puts it out and, and, and lights it, you know, usually every year. And it's, you know, the figures are about three, four feet high. So that, that whole thing also, you know the the Franciscans were were kind of they they loved singing, so they are. This is also right about the time when the first Christmas carols, as we know them, were being mm -hmm. sung, um, and and being developed. Because before that, it was all kind of like hymns. There were hymns that had to do with Christmas that you said at mass at certain you know, but and then there were folk songs that tended to be you know love songs and things like that. But right around now, you were starting to get folk songs in people's language, not in Latin, but in their, you know, languages that were about Christmas. And so I've, I've actually did a lot of research on that as well. So they, you know, uh, I, and I included one of those, which was um, something, uh, a, a carol called the friendly beasts, which we still sing today. And uh, I found out that it, its origins were right around that time period. So I stuck that in there. I said, you know, that's that's great because if, if the Franciscans were involved, they'd be singing. They they love to sing. So uh, it, it's kind of a fun. It's kind of a fun night. <laughs> yeah, it is. We need to take a brief commercial break, but when we come back, you have your book there, and you're going to read us part of your book, correct? Oh, that's great. Here we go. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. The portion of Shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction. And we go and we take love, food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, we believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are and show them the love of Jesus. Uh, we have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways. 
and we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, we have big plans, more we'd like to do, um, and we would appreciate any support, either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com and in the menu, click on donate. And we just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you. Are you ready for an exciting venture in the world of do-it-yourself project? Join me on market.live and get ready to be inspired by the DIY show hosted by yours truly, Melissa from Chasable Block Cabin. This is your chance to unlock your creativity and bring your imagination to life. Imagine the satisfaction of transforming ordinary objects into something extraordinary. Get ready to learn new skills and discover how easy it can be to create something unique that reflects your own personal style. The DIY Show is here to guide you with every step of the way, providing you with tips, tricks, and ideas that will make your project a success. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Grab your friends, family, or even your prairie companions and tune in to the DIY Show on Market.Live on Mondays at noon Eastern Standard Time. Or you can catch the replay. Together, let's unleash our inner artist and embark on a journey filled with joy, inspiration, and endless possibilities. Get ready for a show like no other where creativity knows no bounds. See you there. And we are back chatting with Laurel. She's the author of A Bellwether Christmas, and she's going to read part of her book. So, Laurel, it's all yours. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, just to set this up, uh, they're going to be talking about four different characters. There's Bart, and he's the protagonist of the whole book. He's he's a very curious, clever, but impetuous, impulsive uh, lamb. Uh, he's about six months old. His best friend is named Ginevra, and she's uh, she's um, a really good friend uh, to him. Um, she also can jump higher than he can, so he's kind of a little miffed about that. But um, and then they talk about Mundo, who is their shepherd boy, who's his 14 year old uh, uh, shepherd boy. Um, and they talk about Peko, who is the guard dog, the, the kind of the sheep dog. So uh, this is a scene. Um, and you'll uh, and it's interesting because Bart is as you see he's an escape artist and he was modeled after our sheep, Sir Barton who was an escape artist. And uh, after this is over, I'll, I'll tell you a couple stories about him if you want. <laughs> but here's the, I'm gonna read this two pages at the end of chapter three. Hey, what's the matter? Said Ginevra as Bart got up. Nothing's the matter, said Bart. I just feel like going somewhere. Where? Come on, I'll show you. Bart led Ginevra to the weak part of the fence. See this? If we push on it, we're small enough to get through. And then we can go visit places where the good plants grow. They're not far from here. I don't know. Mundo's not around. And exactly. He's busy enjoying himself with all the other villagers. He's not thinking about us. Anyway, we're not going far. We'll be back before he even shows up. And he told Peko not to leave the pasture. Come on. The plants up there are sweet. Well, okay. Bart's guess about the fence turned out to be correct. And they pushed on it enough to create an opening they could wriggle through. The two lambs jumped with excitement as they cut across the upper field. While they got to the dense brush line, they trotted along until a gap revealed a path heading upward. Sheep being good climbers, they soon were behind the hill in a glade they both remembered. They began searching for their favorite tasty plants. Though the village was hidden from them, they could hear faintly the sounds of the villagers and a barking dog. Peko must have noticed we're gone, Bart thought. 
He didn't want Pecos barking to upset Ginevra and make her want to return right away. Let's go up higher just for a few minutes and then we can go home, said Bart. He backtracked until he found a place where the trail branched off. Soon they reached a grassy hilltop surrounded by trees and dotted with a few large boulders. Bart trotted, trotted right up to the edge of the knoll and Ginevra followed. Whoa, she said. In front of them was a steep drop. The valley below looked something like the dale the Grange sat upon, only bigger. There was a large stone and brick building they could see in the distance. It had towers rising above the tallest trees. The breeze up here was chilly, but Bart liked how it felt on his face. Isn't this great, he said. It sure is, said Ginevra. I think Lord Giovanni lives in that castle over there, said Bart. The sun was touching the top of the mountains, and Bart knew it would be getting dark in a short while. Well, we should go back now, he said to Ginevra. They turned around and made their way back through the little knoll. The shadows of the trees lying across the grassy area had lengthened. They were nearly to the head of the trail when a trick of the eye, a hint of something wrong, made them halt in their tracks. There was a shadow within a shadow and it was blocking their way. Then the shadow moved. A shade colored creature stared at them with yellow eyes. Though Bart had never seen one, his sheep instinct knew this ancient enemy instantly. It was a wolf. Mm. And that's the end of chapter three. And then it, people have to read it to find out what happens. Find out what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So you said you're going to tell us a couple of stories about Sir Barton. So tell us a couple yes. of stories. Sir Barton was uh, was the uh, <laughs> male sheep that my son uh, got to be the kind of the companion for Lady uh, Guinevere, who um, was the breeder sheep that he that the breeder ewe that he got at 4-H. So these are both 4-H sheep's sheep. And um, Barton, well, the first story I wanted to tell you is that Barton was such a great escape artist that he, he at the four, uh, Ventura County Fair, he actually let all the sheep out of his pen and the pen next to him. So oh at, at one point in the, in the middle of the fair, there are sheep running everywhere, okay? And they saw him do it, so. <laughs> which is just like. And another, another uh, time, uh, this was before that happened, well, this is when we learned that he could pick locks and, and, and escape. He got out of his pen um, and we lived back then in California, right up against the Santa Monica Mountains. My son, who was about 12 or 13 at the time, at some point uh, had just come home from school and he looked at the sheep pen and the sheep were gone. And he did not even stop to tell his mother where he was going. He just took off into the Santa Monica Mountains because Santa Monica Mountains, okay, there's coyotes, there's mm -hmm. cougars, you know. And, and these were lamb, these were, they were still lambs. So they were, you know, only about 30, 35 pounds. Um, so he goes running after them. And in the distance, he, he gets up to them and he sees them under a tree. And as he starts running towards them, they see this, somebody running towards them and they panic and they start to, you know, as if they're going to run away. And he calls to them. And as soon as they hear him, they stop. And he, he goes up to them and they just turned around and followed him home. And I sat there and went, wow, <laughs> that's what it means about 
hearing hearing my voice, mm-hmm. my sheep know my voice. I was like that. There, there. That's why the people in of in in, in biblical times understood that because mm-hmm. they would know that sheep were like that. Um, so anyway, those are those are my two stories. But he was I I, I once saw him uh, do. Uh, let me see. He opened a shed door where the good food was by turning the key, then pushing the handle, then sticking his nose in. He had to do three steps to get in. And I watched him do it. Wow. He was a clever lamb. And they'd say that sheep are not that smart, but they can be smart. And I think he, Sir Barton was probably smarter than the horse. Um, (laughs) 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 I heard about sheep in New Zealand once who were getting into a pasture and they and they couldn't figure out how they were getting over to this other pasture and eating this garden because there was a cattle grate over the you know the, mm-hmm. the between them and animals with hooves will not walk on a cattle grate because they're afraid their hooves will fall in so they finally i think set up a camera or something and they watched the this little flock would walk up to the cattle grate lie down roll over twice get up and go eat the plants on the other side and then come back roll over again and get back to their pasture so who says a sheep is is dumb right <laughs> Yeah, really? I mean, <laughs> sounds to me like they're pretty smart. They think out of the box. Maybe that's the yes. reason why they say sheep are dumb because they think out of the box. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And they can get easily get into trouble like us. <laughs> I I just had to laugh a couple of times or more than a couple of times when you talk about the sheep and about Bart in the book, because he, he's just such a lovable character. I mean, he's so lovable. He's into everything. You know, he knows he's not supposed to run away, but when he finds a hole, he's going to go through that hole, regardless of whether or not, whatever danger he is. It's almost like it's a childlike quality of like, you know, not, you know, you're not introduced to danger until you learn about danger, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And he's, he's, you know, he's definitely, he's definitely a bit headstrong that way, but it also propels him to, to uh things that he needs to learn and that's the thing he's he's really hungry to do is is to learn things um and that but he really doesn't care about following rules and stuff like that uh, that's for sure <laughs> so that was based on sir barton your actual shape but is there a human character that some of the characteristics that came out across with the animals as well somebody you knew in real life well definitely my my son a little has a little is a little bit barton and a little bit mundo the the shepherd boy so um yeah there his his characteristic he was he he is uh one of those all boy boys when he was mm-hmm. growing up and um he would just you know he he had that kind of you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do that i'm gonna try that you know he was not at all uh, uh shy about stuff when he was curious or when he you know wanted something he would just go for it now you said earlier that you did a lot of research about this book you had done research before but as you were writing you did more research what was your most surprising thing that you found out when you were writing this book oh most surprising thing oh wow that's that's tough uh i don't know i guess I guess I, I was surprised by some of the, some of the little, uh, the fact that I, I guess I was surprised by the fact that all this stuff kind of still exists. In other words, the place mm-hmm. where this happened exists, um, the town, um, 
I, I put the, the, this little village that I kind of created that was just like a little offshoot of the town, uh, like a, which would have happened back then, you know, they would have had, because most people were farmers. So you had to have little villages here and there where the peasants would live. And um, I found this, this place right on the other side of the, of the mountain uh, from Grecio that's now like an Italian uh, farm bed and breakfast. And I just looked at this thing and I said, oh my gosh, this is perfect. It, so that was kind of a, a really nice surprise to find that. Um, and I, I just, I really enjoyed doing the, that, that kind of research because, uh, you know, you get to here and you say, well, I'm going to do something about uh, music or something about uh, their Christmas celebration, getting ready for Christmas. I had to learn mm -hmm. all about that and it was fun. I love how you brought, you made sure that it was time true because a lot of times when people write novels, they don't write it where it's got the right food or the right drink or the right, and you made an important point to research that and put that in the novel so that you know that they're going to actually, they're reading, not only are they reading historical fiction, but they're actually reading things that are actually, they're learning something about what went on during that time as well. Yes, and I, I did that deliberately. I wanted kids to know what it, what was what was it like living back then, and what did you do for fun, and and what did you eat, and things like that. So the foods and everything, you know, like I you know, I didn't have them, eat, you know, they they weren't eating tomatoes. You know, tomatoes are from the New World. You know, they wouldn't have wouldn't have been eating those back then. You know, it, it so. Uh, I, I really did try to try to do that and and make it a kind of especially rural life. And I think even if you know a little bit about medieval, you think, well, just knights and, you know, castles and stuff. Mm -hmm. But rural life had its own had its own uh, kind of charms and difficulties. And so you can you can see that uh, what life might have been like if you were growing up back then. And, and I, I really I really enjoyed that. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you went on Google Maps and like researched what, of course, you had to use a little bit of your imagination because they're probably modernized a little bit. But were you surprised? Where, how did you take that journey? Because I'd love to know your steps. How did you, first of all, find where it was actually taking place and then going through and, and walking in with Google Maps? Well, I knew from my research that this had taken place in a place called Grecio, Italy. So I went to Google Maps and I looked up Grecio, Italy, and I could see, you know, I knew about where it was. And I, um, I'm pretty good also with um, topo maps, topographic maps. So I also looked up a topographic map of the region so I could see what the mountains looked like and what, where the flat areas and the mountains were and things like that. So that's how um, uh, I found Grecio. Uh, and, and then I said, well, because of the way the plot was, I'm going to have to be within walking distance of this town. And, and, mm -hmm. and particularly within walking distance of this mountainside where the cave will be for, for Christmas Eve. Um, and I could see where that was. And plus on Google Maps, you can see, and there's a, there's a museum, uh, yeah, there's like a museum there. There's a museum of the creche, they call it, Museum of the, the Nativity, Museo de Presepio in Italian. And there's, then you can see where the, the main town was and the church, uh, the you know, the church plaza. And um, I knew from my his from my research that the church plaza was what was, you know, the, the castle that was originally there in the 1200, a Norman castle with six towers would have been right where that church was mm -hmm. 800 years ago. So I knew and I, and then I Google walked myself from one place to another to see how, how long does it take me if I walk? 
But and the other thing that was convenient was all this all these towns are along this road that goes between Rome and and further north, um, like Assisi and, and uh, Perugia and big towns like that. Well, that road is a Roman road. So that would have been even though it's paved now, it's probably been moved a little bit because it runs by a river. That road would have been there. Um, so that was very convenient for me because then I could just walk up and down that road and say, what do you see from here? And I could tell, you know, there's a scene at the beginning where he's looking at the mist coming down the valley. Well, I saw pictures that when you're up high enough, that's what you can see on a fall day. You can see the mist on the valley. So, um, you know, that's, it, it was really fun to, to think of uh, exactly where they were when I was writing a scene. So what does your family think when you write this book? What do they think about it? My mother was kind of like, well, finally, I knew you were going to write a book one day. <laughs> <laughs> and they loved it. My husband said he was very proud of me, which is nice because he's, he's a really good writer. And um, the rest of them are just kind of like, whoa, gee, ooh, a book. <laughs> you know? So, um, no, it, it, it was it was very nice to to have their uh, to have their kind of uh respect and and praise for for writing it and you know of course they all got a free copy so <laughs> what, that? what did your son think i said it's funny uh he he read it in the manuscript and he liked it um and and didn't say anything because when, when he probably recognized himself in a few places but uh no he liked it but i i sent it to him because all these animals that I'm using those were his animals when he was young, younger. And so, um, but he, he really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, he understands exactly uh, why I made the characters the way I did. <laughs> and as I, I said, that. and I said, you know, there are other things in the book too. Like um, there's a point that when the lambs are jumping, um, people don't realize how high uh, sheep can jump, mm. especially when they're young. Um, they can really jump high and it, it's important for the story that they can do that. But um, it's also something I've watched them do. So uh, again, that's, you know, there were little things like that that really made it fun to write. Um, I also love the fact that you're not only do the animals, not only you're telling the story of the, li the first living nativity, but you're also telling you've got other stories going along in the sidelines, like with the, with the donkeys and with the, the oxen and then, you know, all these other different animals and the wolf and all these other different animals, they all have their own little storyline and they kind of all like in, in the end, end up all together. You know, those stories come from the legends and the history of Francis. Those he, he loved uh, larks. Uh, in particular, he 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 used to talk. In fact, he used to say um, he he even said on Christmas he wished people would feed the birds, and in particular the larks. And he liked larks because he said they looked like little nuns with their brown and white, you know, heads. Uh, but he he was even uh, known to preach to birds on occasion. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is a story about him. Uh, the story about the uh, hare is also part of the of the legends or history uh you know things that have been told about francis and the wolf as well the wolf is one of the most famous because um it was considered you know he he was 
he was uh, considered to be just a legend. And then in the late 1800s, they were redoing, pulling down this building, this uh, main building in the center of Jubio. And he was called the Wolf of Jubio. And they pulled aside a slab and there was a skeleton of a large wolf. Mm. And, you know, obviously several hundreds of years old. And so the thought was, well, maybe this was a true story about this wolf and how he came to be associated with this this little town. Um, Because why would they bury a wolf under their main building? You know, or I think it was either the church or the town building, main town building. So it was fun to incorporate all of those wild animals together with the domestic animals. Uh, and, and that kind of interface was, was, uh, was really fun. And, but, but that's where all that came from. I didn't, I, I, I kind of, you know, I put it together, but I didn't make it up. Yeah. Uh, those are, those are kind of fictionalized accounts of the, of the history. So people who don't know who Francis is, tell us a little backstory and tell us a little history of Francis. Okay, so in this time in history, um, the church was kind of in trouble. There was a lot going on, uh, you know, with scandals with priests. You know, a lot of them had wives and, th- mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Um, there was a lot. The, the, uh, the, the popes were very into uh, warfare and a lot of, you know, the crusades and sending mm-hmm this king that way and, and dis- excommunicating that king. And, and then they had just started uh, the practice of indulgences where you were paying for things if you, did, you wanted to get out of some, you know, some penance and stuff. So there was a lot going on that was kind of, and, um, that was kind of uh, bringing the church down, so to speak. And uh, into this came, came the penit- what they call the penitent uh, groups, the, the Dominicans the Fra- and the Franciscans, but in particular, Francis, uh, who just, he, he was just one of these charismatic figures, um, but he, he was all about poverty, poverty and humility. And that's what the penitents were. They were, they were, they were about n- none of this, you know, wealthy stuff. We, we're going back to, in other words, like most revivals in the church, they're going back to the early days. Well, what did the early Christians do? They roamed around, you know, from town to town, they had small groups of, 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 of believers who would pool their money and, and exist that way. So they pretty much took up that idea and um, they, they would go around and, you know, uh, uh, they would meet lepers and they would give them baths and take care of them. And uh, th- some of them were very wealthy. So they came from all, also, they also came from all different uh, backgrounds, which was unusual, because back then you pretty much had to be fairly wealthy to become a nun or a priest, because mm-hmm. you, I mean, not, you know, a nun or a monk, because you had to be able to afford to to give them your dowry or whatever, so that they would support, so the church would support you. But in this case, you know, they they the Franciscans were like, you know, if you want to be a Franciscan, that's fine. You want to be a friar, so um, they were peasants and they were knights and they were, you know, nobles and ev- everything in between. But they all gave their money away, you know, put on rough clothing and, and, and some, sometimes sandals and went around helping others. Uh, and in a very cheerful way, they, they sang, they were, uh, you know, uh, I heard them once described as Boy Scouts uh, because they loved the outdoors. So they, they, they were, but they became a, um, a big influence. And Francis is considered to have 
really um, helped the church survive because mm -hmm. his the influence really uh, made a difference in the following centuries um, between the Franciscans and the Dominicans who were also the same in terms of uh, poverty. So that made a big difference. But um, he was also just such a charismatic figure and had this, you know, love of animals in particular that and and of all creation. He just saw he was kind of ahead of his time and that he that he saw things differently than the people back then did. Because back mm -hmm. then, I mean, an animal was something you owned or you ate or you, uh, you know, was 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 a pest. One, you know, one of those things was either something good or, or, or bad. And um, people really didn't have that uh uh, image of them as creatures of God, uh, as much as, as Francis did. And he saw it that way as, you know, they're just one of God's creatures. You're what you're another of God's creatures. And, um, so that was, a that was quite a, an eye-opening thing for people. And there are so many wonderful stories about Francis that, and I just, you know, barely, barely made a dent in them. <laughs> for sure. So let's talk about your blog and your blog is called God and gardening. God and gardening. So let's talk about that. Well, I've been a gardener since I was 12. Um, I started a little garden in my backyard. Uh, my dad helped me uh, dig it up and put a little fence around it. And I've been gardening ever since, one way or another, wherever I've lived. And I've lived in various places. Um, so that's always, a, that's always a, uh, uh, a challenge, you know, when you live in a cold climate or mm -hmm. like, you know, the New England or you live in California or you live in Texas or you live in Tennessee or you live, you know, it's, yep. I think I've lived in about five different uh, uh, zones, <laughs> growing <laughs> zones. But I realized at some point I was like, you know, there's so many, when I've read, I've read the Bible several times and I've always struck by how many examples there are that just talk, you know, that, that kind of harken back to our agrarian nature and, you know, all about, um, you know, there's so many references like being, you know, the, the vine and the branches and, and, and mm -hmm. things like that that are always coming up. And I started to see things about gardening that would remind me of that things in the Bible. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to just do a little blog and just, and I, it's not even a sermon. It's just like, it's almost like a, a, a reflection or a, a, it's just my, an observation. I'll make an observation and I'll just write three or 400 words about how that, how gardening uh, helps me understand, you know, the Bible better and God better um, because there are things, you know, that about the natural world that are just very revealing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're going through things, Sometimes you have to, you know, you, you, you say, okay, you know, like, you know, if I, I'm being so impatient, but you know, when I'm a gardener, I'm not impatient. I mean, I know it takes time for things to grow, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, so, so sometimes I'll just catch myself and I'll be like, oh, you know, it's like, if I were just thinking about it, like a gardener, I'd have a better understanding. And so that's just what I write about. And, and as I said, it's not, uh, I, I started out writing it about every two weeks, but now I just write it, you know, whenever one, one occurs to me. Uh, so I can, you know, write, you know, three or a month or, or one a month, you know, but if you, if you subscribe to it, um, then whenever I get one of these observations, <laughs> you'll get it. I also usually pair them with, I, I usually pair them too with a, a good tip that I've learned over the years, just something I do that's a hack, I call it a hack, a gardening hack, 
mm-hmm. um, just something I've learned to use or do or uh, that that's, you know, cheap and practical and gets the job done. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll include some and, and or sometimes people will send in their own tips that I'll use. So you, you get a reflection and you get a little gardening tip uh, at the same time. So I love I'm that. Not, I, you know, I'm not I'm not. I never went, I was an, an Aggie and my husband has always said, you should have become a master gardener. I was like, I, I didn't have the time to do that, but um, I really just love it. So, uh, and I really want, you know, think it's, it's a great, it's become more popular now uh, than it was even when I was growing up. And this generation loves, you know, getting in the dirt and growing their own food and things like that. But it's, it's just a wonderful thing to do. And you can garden, you know, you can garden if you just have a couple of pots and a, and a uh, you know, and a front porch, you can garden. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you just, you don't need to, you don't need to have big elaborate gardens. Um, sometimes in some parts, sometimes times of my life, I've had big elaborate gardens and sometimes I've had just a few pots, you know, to grow things in. But uh, it's, it's something that just always brings me uh, joy. And uh, I just, uh, something about watching things grow, just, uh, just love it. Yeah, I love that. Now our time is almost up. Is there one last little nugget that you want to leave us with? Oh, gee, you've you've gotten a lot of nuggets. Uh, I know. Well, I think think we've covered just about everything, but I would really uh, like people if they if they are interested in this whole story. I think they will enjoy this. And I think this is something if they buy for this Christmas or even if they buy this Christmas for, you know, for next Christmas or and and read it to their family over time, I think they would really get something out of this. And I would really love for them to let me know if they do uh, and if they like it. And um, I, I just think that uh, people should think about uh, maybe what Francis said uh, about Christmas uh, and if you want to do something to kind of celebrate this 800th anniversary, I think the best thing would probably do what he always wished people would do, which is to feed the birds on Christmas Day. Oh, I love that. That is so awesome. So, guys, I will put in the show notes where you can find the Laurel's blog as well as where you can find her book and where you can find her and if you do get the book please go to amazon and leave a review because i know authors love reviews even Mm -hmm. there because it puts you up higher in the amazon algorithms it's so crazy that that happens but laurel thank you for coming on and for writing this book and for sharing the story with us oh well this has been a, a great fun melissa it really has been thank you so much for inviting me you're welcome and guys um Like I said, I'll put everything in the show notes. Be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting and get this book if you're really looking for a good book about the nativity. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Chats from the blog cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.